Today's edition of the Capital Daily Podcast is brought to you by Raffel and Brown Window Fashions. Update your home by checking out this week's sale on a full selection of Hunter Douglas products. Visit raffel-brown.com for more details. Wondering what's currently open in southern Vancouver Island? Check out the Capital's comprehensive guide to what is currently open, which is updated daily, by clicking on our full list under the news tab at capnews.ca. Hi, I'm Ben Waterworth and welcome to the Capital Daily Podcast for Monday, June 22, 2020. Today in the podcast, nearly 300 non-COVID excess deaths reported in BC between March and April, the latest science on how to keep virus free in a reopening world, and the cause of a helicopter crash that killed a Nanaimo officer in April released. All of that, plus find out what the Victoria City Council thought about dumping your dead animals in the city dump 54 years ago. Coming up... There was as many as 273 non-COVID excess deaths in BC between March 15 and April 25, Statistics Canada reports. The organisation found that there were 372 more deaths than usual, based on the previous five years, in that period, but that deaths declined to usual levels by early May. The report cautions that not all of those differences are necessarily driven by COVID-related side effects and may reflect other changes over the past half decade. Since the onset of the pandemic, BC overdose deaths have spiked back up to and beyond the highs of two and three years ago, culminating with more overdose deaths in May than total COVID deaths. And in a related story, the widow of a Victoria yoga teacher is petitioning BC's top doctor, Dr. Bonnie Henry, to announce overdose deaths just like she does with COVID-19 deaths. Karina Stone believes that like with COVID deaths, official public health announcements will help humanise overdose victims like her husband and get the public to take the crisis seriously. On the weekend, the Capital published our up-to-date roundup of the latest science on how to keep virus-free in a reopening world. And spoiler alert, it involves wearing a mask. Editor of the Capital, Tristan Hopper, wrote the article, and he joins me now on the podcast to chat further about it. First of all, Tristan, thanks very much for your time on the show today. It's been more than a month now without a case on the island, which is good news. But of course, it causes people to become more complacent. Do you feel it's inevitable that there will be another case of COVID-19 on the island at some point? It may not be inevitable, but if I was a betting man, I would absolutely put uh, money on there being another case because that's the thing. I mean, it's not like we haven't cured this. Uh, So the only reason there is no COVID-19 is because we basically reoriented society and the healthcare system to expunge all the current cases. So we're basically where we were in early March uh, when there was no COVID-19 cases and we saw where that went. So, yeah, I think this is still a major contagious virus around the world. And as we reopen, um, you're going to have more opportunities to get infected by the virus. So Bonnie Henry's brought this up. She said, uh, yeah, there's still travel between like I'm, I saw a few Washington State license plates in Victoria today. You know, there's full ferries every day between uh, Victoria and the mainland, which still has active cases. All you need is one person to come over, 
not feeling the symptoms and to cough on someone and then we've got COVID-19 again. So yeah, I would absolutely bet on another case coming to the eye. Well, we saw that with New Zealand, of course, in the last week, they had seemingly managed to eradicate it, but they recorded new cases coming in from people heading into the country from overseas. Do you think there maybe needs to be a little bit more caution when it comes to allowing people from the mainland onto the island? Uh, yeah, potentially. Um, so, yeah, I, I can certainly see the virtues of, particularly now, there's this map going around on social media where it just shows all these hotspots throughout the United States of continued COVID-19 outbreaks, and then it shows Canada, and there's just like oh, a little bit in Vancouver, you know, a lot in Montreal, but just little bits all throughout the prairies. And uh, the takeaway from the image is you're supposed to say, well, we should keep the border closed. So, yeah, I can I can definitely see the virtues of continued travel restrictions right now particularly screening so if if someone is going to be traveling to a remote area sort of check that they haven't had any contacts that could make them a potential risk but um i think the most important thing is just for people to sort of deny the virus a place to take hold so that includes wearing masks not getting complacent like treating this as if we're in a pandemic environment. There's actually, um, we'll be writing on this uh, later in the week, why BC did so well in the pandemic. And there's this going theory that um, the Chinese Canadian community in Vancouver started lockdowns as early as February. Um, so at a time when Canadian public health officials are saying, like, don't worry about it. This is never, this won't reach Canadian shores. The risk is low. Don't worry about it. Uh, the Chinese Canadian community, particularly around Richmond, didn't listen to that and started social distancing, started masking, started doing what we're all used to now with a month's notice. And there's, you know, there's epi epidemiologists are starting to say, you know, that's probably one of the reasons why BC did so well, because when cases started to show up, you had a community that that lived in what became the hotspot. Most of the cases, the, the, the COVID-19 cases happened in Vancouver. Um, so you had a community that already had a month head start on keeping clear of the virus. So Basically, what everybody should do is, yeah, act like you're a Chinese Canadian uh, citizen of Vancouver in February and just act in such a way that when that case comes, it's not going to be spreading through you. Deny it a, uh, a place to jump, you know, because if it infects you, then it jumps to someone else and then it hits a care home three infections away. And we're obviously a lot more educated now than we were in February and March with this, uh, a fact that you talk a lot about in your article when it comes to the mask situation, as of course you just mentioned there as well. It seems as though some people just don't seem to believe or sort of understand how much a mask is helping with preventing the spreading of COVID-19. Does it surprise you to see that some people seem to deny the mask is something they should be wearing in mass gatherings? Uh, yeah, you should definitely like, yeah, you should wear it to the grocery store. So I'm, I've got a mask and they're everywhere. I mean, it's really easy. You can get them at the dollar store. You can get a good washable mask with some nice floral design on the front of it for $4. So ever since late March, uh, the Capitol has been saying that you should be wearing a mask. And we were basing that claim on studies uh, that predated COVID-19. So this was masking studies, uh, looking at the spread of flu or the spread of the 2003 outbreak of SARS. And now we're getting enough data from COVID-19 to show actually, yeah, of course, masks work for this. I mean, this is a respiratory disease. It affects the respiratory system. So it absolutely makes sense that masks uh, would make a difference. So uh, the opposition to masks from public health authorities, unfortunately, in the early weeks of the pandemic was, well, it's not a perfect seal. Uh, again, you can still get the virus if you have a mask on, so don't bother. 
which was really flawed logic because as people smarter than me have pointed out, you can say the same thing about condoms. You can still get pregnant after using a condom, but you should still use a condom, even if it's not 100% effective. So uh, yeah, masking, it's, it's cheap, it's easy. If you have a not particularly attractive face like me, uh, there's some you know side benefits to it. And yeah, there is compelling evidence to show that it's not just a good idea, but there may be countries that have avoided a second wave altogether. So hundreds, if not thousands of people who didn't have to die just because people were wearing a mask. And, and one thing, the thing about this article is it's not all just continue social distancing and your life can never go back to normal. There's also a bunch of stuff now that we know was unnecessary. So we were really paranoid about surfaces uh, in the first uh, weeks of the pandemic. Mm. I was wiping down my groceries. I'd go to the liquor store and you know get the Lysol out and wipe down the bottles. And now we're not so sure on surfaces. You may not have to be as careful uh, about potentially getting COVID-19 from an elevator button, for example. And the outdoors have also proven to be really safe. The, the, probably the most uh, vibrant example of that is the fact that you had mass protests all throughout North America and Europe. And in most cases, those didn't precipitate an explosion of new cases. And the, like, the likely reason is that they were outside. So just by getting outside, just having that free flow of air seems to dramatically reduce your risk of getting COVID-19. And in writing the article, was that a surprise to you personally that we saw such a mass gathering of people in the last couple of weeks because of these protests? But as you just said, seemingly this hasn't really caused outbreaks that people were predicting it would. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I think... For, for good reason, they were saying, because a mass gathering is pretty much the worst thing you can do when it comes to infectious disease. So famously, at the time of the Spanish flu in 1918, there was, I think it was in Philadelphia, there was a planned war bond rally. And public health doctors were saying, you got to cancel this. I mean, there's a flu outbreak. And they said, no, no, we need the war bonds. So uh, they held it anyway. And this is generally acknowledged as one of the biggest super spreader events of the 1918 Flu. So you have literal thousands of people killed uh, because of this one rally. So, yeah, you've got a bunch of people together. So imagine you've just got thousands of people. One person coughs and then, you know, that's spread throughout all of this crowd. And then you had a lot of, uh, you, know, you know, singing and chanting and yelling at a lot of these things. So and the, the louder your voice is, the more you're projecting uh, little bits of spittle and that can contain the virus. So, yeah, I think with good reason, epidemiologists are saying uh, this is not a good idea of all the things that are not a good idea. Big mass gatherings are a particularly bad idea. But you are seeing, uh, yeah, the effects aren't what you suspected. Part of that is because the demonstrators were almost universally young. And as we now know, most young people, the vast majority of young people are not really that negatively affected by COVID-19. And yeah, you have the effect of the odorous. So yeah, getting on a sidewalk and uh, you're passing maybe within a foot of another person. Yeah, if they're not breathing on you or spitting on you, you're probably going to be fine. So you basically, what we've learned in the past few weeks is the way you get COVID-19 is you basically have someone who's infected close to you and breathing on you for an extended period of time. So that's why it's still a bad idea to go to a theater because you could be sitting behind or in front of someone uh, who has COVID-19 that is, you know, expelling air uh, onto you. So, yeah, as, as long as you can sort of avoid that circumstance, a lot of things that we thought were dangerous, like playgrounds, aren't as dangerous. Well, it's a very fascinating article. And of course, people can read it right now in full at catnews.ca. Tristan, a pleasure to have you on the podcast today, mate. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. 
in perhaps the single most weirdest segue I will ever do on this podcast, it seems as though the COVID-19 pandemic may have attributed to a troubling rise in penis injuries in Greater Victoria. UBC researchers say the injuries may be linked to COVID-related changes in behaviour. In a single week, Victoria hospitals saw six men with genital injuries, which are usually relatively rare. This surge may be linked to changes in behaviour associated with the pandemic lockdown, according to a new paper from researchers with UBC's Island Medical Program. And you can read the full, very interesting details right now at capnews.ca. The daily number of COVID cases have finally dipped below 100 in Quebec. Daily increases have been in the double digits twice this week and reached their lowest point since the early days of the pandemic three months ago. The Indian city of Delhi will repurpose 15 luxury hotels as COVID care centres. Hotel staff will now be overseen by doctors as up to 15,000 patients with less severe cases will be hosted in a move intended to blunt an anticipated overload of patients in the Indian megacity, which is the centre of the world's second most populous urban area of 30 million people. And the number of COVID cases in Florida have leapt past 4,000 per day. The state was to be the site of several sports leagues' resumption, including the MLB and NBA, but multiple athletes have tested positive in the past week, and the NHL's Tampa Bay Lightning have shut down training after several infections. The state has just over four times the population of BC, but has 30 times the number of confirmed cases. other news now in the helicopter crash that killed Nanaimo officer Captain Kevin Hagen and five others in April resulted from conflicting moves from the human pilot and the autopilot according to an armed forces release. The crash occurred during a complex turning maneuver while attempting to land on the HMCS Fredericton ship off the coast of Greece. The release describes the conditions as a rare anomaly that crew members had no familiarity with. The new information arrived alongside the resumption of the CH-148 Cyclone Maritime Helicopter Fleet's operations, which were paused after the crash. Further investigations into the crash are continuing. Staff of one or more BC emergency rooms reportedly played a game involving estimating the blood alcohol content of Indigenous patients, according to allegations revealed by Health Minister Adrian Dix. Minister Dix addressed the allegations in a Friday morning conference and announced that Mary Ellen Tapel Lafont has been brought in to lead an independent investigation into them. Tapel Lafont is one of the province's most accomplished legal experts and became BC's first representative for children and youth in 2006. She is a member of the Muskeg Lake Cree Nation and specialises in Aboriginal law. Minister Dix did not disclose how many emergency rooms were implicated or whether any were in the island health system. The conduct is beyond unacceptable. If true, it is intolerable, unacceptable and racist. And its effect on patient care is intolerable, unacceptable and racist. And BC has reduced the scope of its eviction ban and has extended the rental supplement. The province will continue to ban evictions for non-payment of rent until the end of August, but will now allow evictions for other reasons. The rental supplement of $300 for most applicants will continue until the end of August too. Coming up, a unique look into a curious matter from a past council meeting 54 years ago. Plus the latest Victoria weather next. The right choice of Hunter Douglas window coverings can keep your cool from Victoria's spring sun and instantly make over the look and feel of your home. 
Raffel and Brown window fashions have proudly represented the entire line of Hunter Douglas products for over 25 years and have grown to be one of the largest volume dealers in Canada. Visit rafael-brown.com for more details. And finally today, unique insight into Victoria 54 years ago, where on this week in 1966, an SPCA executive called for the Victoria City Council to stop allowing people to throw their dead animals into the dump. The council turned down the request from the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, which asked the municipality to build a crematorium for animals instead. In a letter to Council David Beeching, Secretary Manager of the SPCA, expressed concern about how dead animals were ending up in the dump. Council, however, didn't appear to think much of the idea at all, nor the people who were pushing for it. Esquimalt councillor Arthur Mebs said that he was strongly against a crematorium financed by municipalities, adding that these complaints stem from animal lovers, eccentrics perhaps who have an emotional interest rather than a recognition of the municipality's obligation in the matter. Extremely interesting to get this viewpoint from the past, especially over something that clearly had a very different perspective from some people all those years ago. I wonder if that concern also included flushing goldfish down the toilet, something that I'm sure we've all probably done at some point in our lives. Dead goldfish, can I point out? Dead goldfish. And before we head off today, just a quick look at the weather for today and the coming few days in Victoria. It's looking like it's going to be a great week. Today, we'll bring a mix of sun and cloud with wind near the Wanda Fuca Strait. We're aiming for a high of 23, except for 18 near the water. UV index will be 9, which is very high. But it's looking great for the other days. As I just mentioned, tomorrow, cloudy, high of 22 still. That's great. Wednesday, a mix of sun and cloud, high of 21. While Thursday, get excited. 25 degrees and sunny. Amazing. I've been saying it multiple weeks now that hopefully the good weather will be just around the corner. And here it is. Get yourself pumped because it looks as though summer is finally here. And that's it today for the Capital Daily Podcast, Monday, June 22nd, 2020. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to receive all the latest news from Capital Daily directly to your speakers every single day. And if you missed any episodes last week, the week before, or any other weeks, you can always check us out on all the good podcast platforms, catch up on anything that you may have missed. You can, of course, also sign up to the Capital Daily newsletter for all the latest news from Victoria and the island in written format delivered directly to your inbox. And make sure to check out the latest in-depth articles from the experienced Capital Daily team at capnews.ca. My name is Ben Waterworth, and as they say in Australia, get excited the Blues won on the weekend. Yes, go Carlton. Just want to point that out. It's Australian football, not the NHL. You haven't missed it starting. It's all good, folks. Thanks for tuning in, and I will speak to you tomorrow. Today's edition of the Capital Daily Podcast is brought to you by Raffel and Brown Window Fashions. Update your home by checking out this week's sale on a full selection of Hunter Douglas products. Visit rafael-brown.com for more details. Wondering what's currently open in southern Vancouver Island? Check out the Capital's comprehensive guide to what is currently open, which is updated daily, by clicking on our full list under the news tab at capnews.ca.